Hey everyone, thank you for tuning back in to another awesome episode of Table Talks. I'm so excited for today's episode because this conversation really illuminated and shined a light on so many amazing things. Our guest today is a true guiding light. I'm so excited to introduce to you guys on the show, Joey L. Dowdy, aka Dr. Dancer. Joey is the author of Rise to the Rhythm, host, performer, choreographer. He actually was the original choreographer of the Backstreet Boys and Take 5. We get into that experience in the show, so be sure to tune in. We talk about that and a whole lot more, and just so very excited to have him on the show today and talk with us about his book and all his projects that he has coming up. Remember, you can go to my website, www.hellomynameisjosh.com. That's www.hellomynameisjosh.com. There you can listen to all my podcast episodes. You can learn more about me and my new show, Mindshift, which is on YouTube, which the premiere is September 1st at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. So be sure to head over to YouTube. Just search in Mindshift Show with Joshua Kangley and go ahead and subscribe. Turn the notifications on so that you can get first in line to when my show does drop. Again, that's September 1st. So excited about that show. It's just going to be a whole new element to my content. And again, my mission in helping more and more people with shining a light on amazing people like our next guest, Joey L. Dowdy. Before we get to the interview, though, just a quick word. Introducing the world's first 100% decentralized matrix project programmed on an Ethereum smart contract called Presage, where 100% of the income goes directly and transparently to the members of the project with zero risk. Presage's genius and lucrative matrix marketing plan was programmed on the Ethereum blockchain with revolutionary smart contract technology that executes the program automatically in a decentralized way, so no admins are needed to run the project. It's impossible for project creators or anyone to change the code and execution of the smart contract, and that is extremely powerful as it ensures the project will keep running and there is zero risk or possibility of hacking into the smart contract or stopping the project. Unlike centralized cryptocurrency projects, the founders of Forsage never take or store members' cryptocurrency in any centralized location, so it's completely secure. 100% of all Ethereum payments are sent instantly and directly to the members of Forsage and stored in their personal Ethereum wallets, which they control the private keys. You can easily verify all of the transactions on the Ethereum blockchain as the project is fully transparent. Right now, over 2,000 people are joining the Forsage project worldwide every single day. With Forsage's decentralized project, you can get started with as little as 0.5 Ethereum, and the income potential is literally unlimited. You can earn even 1,000 Ethereum or more. Since February 2020, Forsage has helped thousands of people earn Ethereum, and some have earned hundreds of Ethereum in their first three to eight weeks of getting started. If you're interested in earning Ethereum or learning more about how you can get started earning Ethereum, click the link in the description of this podcast. And now to the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. You're listening to the Success Show channel. I'm your host, Joshua Kangley, with another episode of Table Talks. This conversation was over an hour long, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to break it up in a part one and part two. 
Here is part one of my conversation with Joey L. Dowdy, a.k.a. Dr. Dancer. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the show. You're listening to Table Talks. I'm your host, Joshua Kangley, with another awesome episode that I'm so excited because we have a really fantastic guest today, really special guest today. Uh, we have the author of Rise to the Rhythm, also choreographer, performer, host, fitness motivator, and lifestyle coach to the stars. We have Joey L. Dowdy, a.k.a. Dr. Dancer on the show. Joey, welcome to the show. Hi, hello, Josh. How are you? Thank you again for being on the show today. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show and talk with us about how you're inspiring people with your fitness and your book. Yes, I'm excited too. So before we begin and, and get into all that, Joey, if you could be so kind and just tell us about your journey, give us a little bit of background into Joey L. Dowdy, aka Dr. Dancer. Okay, about me. All, all right, okay. Uh, I want to say first... Uh, I am a child of the Most High God. Uh, I am a proud son of a wonderful mother and father. I am uh, also the proud brother of five other siblings. Uh, I am a survivor who survived two major uh, surgeries in 2016 and two car accidents all within six months. So I consider myself to be a survivor. Um, I am an, an educator, entertainer, performer, and a person who loves to work with people and to help others as well reach their highest capabilities. You know, that is a huge undertaking and it's really commendable to be honest. And I just want to say, you know, again, Thank you again for being on the show, talking about what you're doing. Uh, you have, you are a survivor. You, you have had some, some pretty big surgeries and you were able to overcome them. And I want to talk about this with you because this is, this is a pretty big thing, how you are able to overcome these surgeries uh, and, and finish this awesome book, Rise to the Rhythm. Can you tell us about, you know, how, you just said within six months, some, some big surgeries. How did you, what was... First of all, take us to that point. Um, what happened and how were you able to overcome that? So in 2016, let me start with the <clears throat> incidences that happened. Uh, I had a hip replacement surgery, un unknown, well, it led up to it. And then uh, I had a heart attack uh, after that. While I was rehabilitating from those two things, being transported from uh, paratransit. Um, I was involved in two car accidents within one week, uh, six days actually, while I was being transported, you know, from one, from one rehabilitation center to another. Um, so it was hard, but what I wanna say is, um, they, they kept saying to me, you're so young, you're so young, even, you know, while I was doing uh, the hip, you know, before I got the hip replacement surgery, that they were kind of baffled that this would even happen. And um, I said, normally this happened who were seniors. And I realized it mainly happened because I wasn't really taking care of myself. I was yeah. so busy working, 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 working. And any little injury that I did get, and I can recall there were a couple of them, I just kept going. And uh, it's, 
not unheard of for entertainers and people who do what I do, uh, teachers, entertainers, motivators, whatever, uh, to pretend like they're super people and, uh, and don't adhere to particularly the signs that are saying, take care of yourself. Like they say in the, in the times of crises, the old thing that they say about put on your own oxygen mask first before assisting others. And that's what I needed to do, and, and I didn't do it. So a lot of the things caught up with me. Mm. Even things I knew about, things I needed to do, I wasn't doing them. Mainly because, and then too, I was in denial. You know, being a male, it's hard to, you know, to, to sometimes, when comes, particularly when it comes to health-oriented things, we've got to learn to accept what it is and do something about it. Mm. So... Um, I, but I must say, um, once I decided, once I came out of my denial, because people would say things to me about the hip, particularly because I started to limp. I was limping all over the place and I was in tremendous pain. I'm writing about it now. You know, I'm going to put something out later on in the year, a little memoir about it. I was in such tremendous pain, but I was faking it. I was pretending like nothing was wrong when there was something wrong and I really needed help. And people, I think, were kind of afraid to say anything to me because they knew that I was sort of on edge. It makes you on edge when you're not taking care of yourself and you're not adhering to particularly pain. It does something to your personality, to your, you know, to your psyche. It does something to you as a human and it, and it makes you on edge. So you become a little difficult to deal with. And that's one thing people don't realize. That's why it's so important to get it in check. And so people were afraid to say, something, but I realized that it was me. I was the one that was in denial. But once I did get, decide to get the help, I realized how everything in my life started to come together. Mm. Missing links to certain things, because you know what the good book says, Sue, he wishes above all things that we would prosper and be in, and be in good health as our soul prospers. And uh, it's so true because I realized once I made up my mind, because I grew up in a, in, in a Pentecostal church, a cogent, black, Pentecostal, if God can't heal you, no one can. And there were older seniors there and older people who, was, who would say those things. It wasn't necessarily a church's doctrine, but it was my own that I believe from hearing people say it. Older saints say stuff like that too. So I adapted it, you know, at a young age and I held on to it because I had never been to a doctor before for anything, mm. you know, which was a mistake in itself. So I was re solely relying on, uh, which is a good thing, but it's not realistic because God makes people, he makes people in different professions for a reason. And they do what they do because they've been given the gift through him to be able to do what they do. So we need people. Some people say, well, I don't need anybody. We need people. We need him and we need people because that's what they're there for. So just to make it short, once I decided to get help for it, everything in my life came together. One interesting thing, when the heart attack happened, it happened out of nowhere. I felt pain in my upper back, couldn't sleep, so I had to go to the doctor. And so I went to the doctor and when I, when I, when I got to the hospital, the nurse who was checking me out and uh, you know, doing my stats and everything looked as white as a sheet. And I said, what's going on? And she, and she looked nervous. She looked, she was panicking. She was sort of freaking out. 
And so she just all of a sudden, these, a, a team of people rushed around me. And, and, she, and then one girl, it was like a scene out of a movie. One girl yelled out, you don't look like you're having a heart attack. And I said, what is she talking about? Because I was upright. I was in my right mind. I was moving around. And come to find out that they couldn't find a pulse. Wow. They could not find, I, I was like a walking dead <laughs> in, in a sense, sort of like what I planned to write about a little later on. I was like, they couldn't find, I said, can't find the pulse. I didn't know this at the time, but they couldn't find the pulse. And I was upright. I was normal like anyone else. And what my primary doctor told me later on, he said that your body knew to keep going. Whatever the case might have been, maybe the heart was a little weak, which it wasn't because I had my heart checked and everything before all of this. So the, I don't know where it came from. And, um, and so, but he said, your body knew to keep going, to keep moving, to get mm -hmm. things in check. Had I not had been doing the things I was supposed to, to do physically, I was still working out, I was still eating properly, I was still doing the things I needed to do. Had I not been doing those things, I think my situation would have been different because even he said that he said they couldn't tell me how it happened they couldn't tell me why it happened no one still can they still don't know but what i can say is if i hadn't taken had not taken my health into my own hands way before the surgeries and all those things i was still i did not give up i did not give in to them if i had would have then I think my situation would have been would have been different, and the same thing with the car accidents. I walked out of each accident like nothing happened. Thank you for sharing that. It's it's so you know, and, it, and you're really explaining really the the title of the book, "Rise to the Rhythm." You're a choreographer. Uh, dancing and movement has been a part of your life. You rose to the rhythm. Rise to the rhythm. I love the title of this book. Um, yes. Can you talk to us about what inspired you to write the book and, and, and maybe if you had any setbacks or challenges uh, when you were writing this book? Well, the book stems from challenges because I, I open with a very powerful, the opening is very powerful because it talks about the challenges that I had writing, not this book, but the first book. Because I, I wanted to do sort of a sequel, a little bit of a sequel from the first book a carryover as to what was what's happening now. So it's about the challenges of people who didn't believe, you know, in the writing, you know, even friends I thought, a couple of friends I had, that I was excited to share with them my manuscript who sort of just snubbed it. And one particular person, he, who, who, I, who was an avid reader himself, uh, I went to, who he, he, who he told me that I didn't have anything. You really don't have anything here and what you have isn't going to sell. And I was so discouraged. And, um, but I continued because I knew what I'm capable of. And I know what I was capable of doing. And one thing that I want to say to people that are listening is you have to know what you're capable of. Even if it, it, it's, it's something small. It doesn't have to be like anything that anybody else does. You have to know individually what you're capable of and what makes you who you are. And I knew that. And I said, well, maybe it won't be, you know, a, a bestseller. Maybe it won't be, it won't be a, a, like a J.K. Wallen bestseller or something. But there's a message that I'm trying to send. And I know that it will help someone somewhere. And it, uh, so it talks about the challenges. But I didn't just want to talk about the challenges. I wanted to mix it in 
with the thing that movement is life and life is rhythm. And you use it continually to get ahead. You may not be aware of it, but you do. So in, and in situation, not just in, in dance and movement, but in, in life itself. And so I give examples of how I use the rhythm of my life and the rhythm of a situation to get in or to get out of, or even the negativity that was going on. I use the momentum to keep going, momentum to, to think about what I've already achieved in order to kind of shrug off the negativity that was going on. So, and, and the book gives examples, lots of great examples as to how you can use the rhythm of your own life, which is, was, which was very difficult to write and very difficult to do to show people how they could use the rhythm of their own lives to be able to live their own highest potential. And it gives a few videos too that I also incorporated in the book that links them to further visualizations of what it is they can learn as well. And I love that dynamic of this book too. You have that added element to the book, which I think is so perfect and fitting. Per chapter, you're also releasing a video component too, right? Yes. I had an idea because I've worked with so many artists, you know, from Backstreet to Take Five, and I've been original choreographer for those groups as well as rural groups. And, um, and I'm an artist myself, started out, you know, wanting to be a triple threat singer, dancer, actor. And so I said, what is the missing link here? What can I present to an audience of people who know nothing about me in the literary world that will introduce myself as being who I am? Because the mistake in writing is even so many, um, I want to say producers, but it's not the right word, literary agents and so forth are trying to get the writers to be like someone else who's a bestseller. But their, their story is coming from their own lives, experiences, or their own uh, thought process or, or imagination. So I said, you know what, sink or swim, I'm going to be myself and I'm going to do what it is I feel creatively that's, gonna, that's going to impact the audience and people who are coming to read my material. So I said, I felt what was missing is, is most times when authors write a book, they may do an audio book or they may do something of that nature, but visually they don't teach the book. They don't give you the vis visualization of what that chapter could be about and how it could impact your life from a visual point of view. So I decided to do certain chapters from my book and release a video like a music artist would release a single from an album. And so a book basically is the same thing, it's an album, too, of, of a body of work that you are doing at that current time. So I started out with my first video, Get Off the Dread Meal, which is sort of a poetic. Uh, it's, it's from one of the chapters I did that has a poetic, rhyming, poetic sense to it that talks about life and its challenges and how you get stuck with certain things, what you could do. So I started with that. And then there's a, a part two, another Apart from that chapter that I started with uh, Groove in Your Best Direction about choices, the choices in life and how the choices mold you into becoming who you are. You may not realize it, but it's all about choices. And so I started with that and then I ventured into more of a movement thing, talking about, you know, the magic of dance, which I'm working on now more so, and the benefits that you can get from it. 
because a lot of people don't realize what saved me and saved my life really were the benefits and the techniques that I used through dance, mm. you know, to help rehabilitate, because I really rehabilitated myself quickly because the things that the doctors knew and the really rehabilitation centers knew, they were so elementary to me. It wouldn't work for my body. My body was much more advanced and needed much more, you know, it needed more. And they didn't know how to give me that. But I knew because I had helped so many other people do it. Now it's time for me to apply it to myself. So the techniques and the strategies that I use to rehabilitate my body all came from there. To me, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. I mean, not only is, has your life been about rhythm and movement and dance, um, but also in this book, we're going to go through this journey in your book with these elements that you've added visually and poetically. This is a brilliant book, brilliant body of work, and I'm so excited about it. Rise to the Rhythm, we can find this on Amazon, correct? Um, yes, you can find it on Amazon. You can also find it on my website, www.joeldowdy.com, as well as other avenues, Barnes & Noble and Kobo. So it's basically worldwide. I'm super excited about it. Again, that's Rise to the Rhythm. Take us back. What inspired you to live this life of dance and, and choreography? Actually, it started when I was about when I was in the first grade. I remember that I was in a talent show or some sort of, I think no, it wasn't a talent show, it was a Christmas show. And I was doing a, a dance routine. And in fact, it was Michael Jackson's uh, Santa Claus is coming to town from the old, one of the classics back then. Yeah. I remember, um, and I couldn't remember, I would get to a certain place in the dance but, and I couldn't remember it. And so I, I, and I, and I really would get frustrated. And so I had a dream one night that I could remember it. And so the dream came true. I remembered it and I got through the whole thing. And from that moment, I knew that I wanted to be a, form, a performer at that early age. Then I joined this group called the Golden Fun and the Sun Players. And this is in Memphis, Tennessee, which we know is a melting pot of talent, of music, Elvis, B.B. King, I mean, Orpheum Theater. So this was in a prime place you know, to be able to, to stretch my, you know, my wings and be able to do what I do, even at a young age, the opportunities were there. And so I, Sylvia M. Nelson started this group. She was a, a teacher for the city schools in Memphis. And she started this group called the Golden Fun in the Sun Players. And we were a group of uh, dancers, singer, actors. We did skits and we sang and we danced. Um, you know, throughout the city for recreational centers, for old folks' uh, homes and other places like that. And, um, but what was unique about it, she was so into education. She would always say to us how important it is, no matter what it is you want to do, to get your education. Continually, she would say that as we were doing um, um, our, you know, our shows and stuff, and we had a you know, a fabulous choreographer, Marshall Jacks, who is now passed on and music director. And so um, it, was in, it was instilled in me, you know, education, 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 also for my parents. My parents were constantly saying, this is great. And, I, and I'm very blessed and very fortunate to have had a mother and father who supported what I did. They supported it, you know, and still, they were, they were very, very, when it comes to education, hardcore, had, had good grades, had to, you know, take care of yourself and, you know, and be disciplined and so forth. They were very much about that as well. 
But it started from that. It started from that crew, from the Golden Sun and the Sun players. Then everything else sort of fell into place. You mentioned, you know, really the emphasis on education and that uh, experience that you had uh, as well in that group. Was this founding uh, elements that led you beyond in entertainment and in business? Absolutely, because right off the cuff, I, I was with some of the most amazing talent in that little group that we had that went on to do other things and work with great people, um, Broadway, from recording artists to everything from that group. I mean, uh, just and educators who went on to, in fact, one of the, one of the, one of the guys, uh, Cornelius Carter, was one of the guys I was with in the group. He went on to be a professor at one of the universities. And, uh, and, and, and others went into the arts and did some really, really incredible stuff. So it laid the foundation for me to be able to do other things. Which I think is so important, too, to be able to pivot. And we'll probably talk more about pivot a little bit later on. But, you know, this was important for for you to, like you said, lay that foundation uh, for what all is to come down the line. And now here you are building your brand. Um, you have your book, you're doing your, you, you have a YouTube channel, you're a, um, a host and performer and really, you know, building your brand and helping other people while you're doing this. That is so important. Education, learning those fundamentals. And you were able to learn that early on, which was such a blessing, you know. Mm -hmm. You mentioned, you know, you mentioned like growing, you know, around the Memphis scene, which as we all know, like, you know, that must have been exciting times because uh, as we all know, Memphis is so rich in that culture. You also were the original choreographer you mentioned of the Backstreet Boys and Take Five and, and, and many others. Can you tell us what that experience must have been like or what, what was it like for you? It was an unexpected experience. I didn't expect something like that to happen, to be honest with you. And uh, it all started with one day I was teaching a hip hop class in Orlando, Florida. And outside of the viewing window, there were two ladies who were jumping up and down. And they were so excited and I couldn't figure out what they were jumping up and down about. They were pointing at me, you, you, you. And I looked behind and say, who are they talking to? And I, then I thought, oh, it's me. And then they said, you, and then we want to see you after class. And so after the class, they said that they were so excited. They'd heard a lot about me and they were so excited. And they said, you have to do this project with us. And I said, okay, what's the project? They were starting a, a boy band. You know, we need someone like you to work with us. And at the time it was Jean Tanzi and uh, Sybil Gallagher. They were the managers of the Backstreet Boys. This is way before the other guy came on and took over at the very start. And so I, you know, thought about it. He said, sounds great. And I said, we, we're going to introduce you to Lou Pearlman. Lou Pearlman was, was the mogul behind the whole thing. As you know, he created NSYNC. He created um, uh, the, uh, some of the other groups too. He was, he was also Take Five. He created them and other groups after the Backstreet Boys. But what I really want to clear up is that this is, you know, in the very beginning, Fatima came and she did their videos later on with them, I think. Mm. And uh, because there was, there was a little discrepancy about it here, even when I got to Hollywood and I was uh, auditioning to be with one of the agents, dance agents here, 
he said, uh, well, we have Fatima here as one of our choreographers. And as, as we know it, Fatima was the choreographer for the Backstreet Boys. And I said, oh, really? I said, I think that she's great. and She's done some great work. But I want to let you know that I was there from the original and they got their record deal from doing my work. And, uh, and fortunately, I could back it up because at that agency at the time, my assistant choreographer, Wayne Anthony Johnson of Ballet Magique, because his own thing called Ballet Magique, fabulous thing now, uh, he was at the agency and he, and he called in and said, wait a minute, no, please don't insult my friend like this. He was the original choreographer. And, I said, and he said, how I know that is, I was his assistant. And we were both working together. And so I brought in some earlier material that no one else had. I was able to get it later on to show the Asian, you know, that it was so. And then he backed it up and cleared things up. So I, I just want to make sure and clear that up. That of course, they've worked with many other people since then, you know, and uh, they've done some great work with them. Uh, but, yes, I was the original of that group in Take 5. And it was shocking because I didn't expect it. And then I didn't know, working with uh, the Backstreet in the beginning, worked in a little garage in Hunter's Creek, well, in a home. They lived in a home. You know, I think MTV did something later on about people living in a home and, you know, whatever. But they, they lived in a home all together. And we had rehearsals in the garage. And we didn't, in the beginning, have mirrors like you have in a dance studio. We created mirrors with aluminum foil, with some sort of foil that you put um, on, the, uh, on, the, on, the, on the blocks, on the wooden blocks to create something because Lou wanted to save money and he didn't want to buy the mirrors. And I was like, Lou, what are you doing? What do you kind of see in it? You know, but it wasn't like, you, you know, it wasn't mirrors. So we, we used that. And um, um, it, it, was, it was interesting because I didn't know when they were auditioning for the group that they were looking for five white guys. I didn't know that. So I had, I was sending my friends who were of all ethnic backgrounds to audition for the groups who were very, very talented. And they were all coming back saying, well, we didn't make it. I said, what do you mean you didn't make it? You've got the look, you've got the talent. And then it dawned on me, I think one of the managers said, oh, they're looking for a group kind of like the new kids on the block, you know, all white guys. And I said, oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> now I get it. <laughs> you know, and, and after that, um, you know, Take 5 came about a little bit later on because I moved on to other things. You know, I had a lot of stuff happening at that point in time. Universal Studios, Halloween Horror Nights, I created that with them. I did some stuff with SeaWorld and, and uh, David Hasselhoff and the whole SeaWorld thing, you know, to do a, a dance type thing with the skiers and whatever. And then Disney I did something so 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 things really took off for me. So I I went on to other things. Then later on, they called me back to work with Take Five, you know, to start them out and to really you know train them and in shape and so forth, whatever. So that's what I, it's been sort of like my claim to fame to help them get in shape and so forth. And you know, from the ground level, which, which is what obviously I seem to be good at. And so um, you know, I went on to other things, but it, it was it was. It was a shock at the beginning. It really was. I, I'll be honest. Yeah. So I mean, in, like you said, you're you're there at the, in this garage in this home. Uh, you know, kind of like the real world days back in the day. Uh, Absolutely. 
you, you know, did you ever think in that garage putting up that, you know, makeshift those mirrors that like the Backstreet Boys or Take Five would blow up like they did just just become huge? I had no idea. None of us had any idea. But I'll tell you what's missing today. What's missing today, unlike then, and unlike what I grew up with, uh, the training. Mm. The training. You have to get the training. The real serious, because I grew up with some real serious, I'm, and I'm very fortunate. I don't do anything without having coaching myself. Because I, I grew up with that. And, and my parents always told me, get the best. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whatever it is, save your money. You know, forget going to the movies, go here, get the best training, whatever you do. And I'm fortunate that they taught me that. But what's missing today is everybody wants to be a star. And you have these shows, these dance shows, these talent shows where they're telling people, you are a star. You're going to be a star. You're going to be a star without realizing how difficult it is in the industry. Some of them know they're sitting there and they've had careers, how difficult it is to be a star, you know, and to even stay on top. You cannot do that and stay on top without serious training. You can't do it. You know, you, you, won't, you, you won't be able to maintain the stress. You won't be able to maintain you, the people pulling at you and just the, you know, the, the, the people trying to cheat you out of your money. I mean, it's, it's a lot of elements to it that the training gives you the discipline and the structure to be able to deal with a lot of stuff. Mm. And just telling someone they're going to be a star, you know, is, 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 is not going to cut it without giving them the other elements they need to be successful. It's about being successful, you know, and, and moving into whatever area, if that doesn't work out the structure from that and move into what other area if it doesn't work out it's not about being the star it's not about being famous because fame is fickle mm. you know and so do the people that come with it fickle <laughs> <laughs> so it's not about that but what's different what was different and why they were so successful from my point of view is they had a hunger mm. they had a hunger unlike any other groups that i know of you know, to really train, to really get it, to really want to be and be an artist. Mm -hmm. It wasn't so much about the fame that drove them to the top. It was their work ethic. It was their mindset. And of course, you know, they had me, the bull behind the bull with the whip behind them, <laughs> whipping them in, into shape to get them there. Because I, you know, I, as an artist myself, I understand it. And I think um, that the work ethic the ethic that they had um, and the hunger that they kept, because there was no magic glue or magic anything to, you know, that was going to make them solid and make them successful. Lou put a lot of his millions of dollars out of his own money. And at, at, in the early stages, he was struggling trying to get the group seen and trying to get the group, you know, for people to take them seriously. I remember. I remember in the meetings in his mansion, sitting in his mansion, you know, with him literally about ready to pull his hair out, boy, I can't get a meeting here. Okay, no one believes in this. I said, Lou, you've got to keep going. You've got to, you know, it's your vision. You've got to, you know, and we're all here to support it. But it wasn't a for sure thing. It was not. I think that's such an important takeaway there. I mean, the entertainment industry, no doubt, is is rough it's rough it's brutal and in any dance choreography singing uh situation 
there's so much work behind that. Um, like you mentioned that you had actually requested and, and offered other uh, talent maybe to be, to be in there that you thought maybe you had more talent, but they prove themselves the hard work ethic. And I think overall, that's what's lacking today is just everybody wants to be number one star, blow up huge, you know, without any of the dedication, the training and, and, and all that comes with that growth. Do you see that as well in general? Absolutely. I mean, come on. I'm in Hollywood. I teach at the prime, the, you know, some of the primary places, the edge. I've taught at Millennium Studios, you know, where, where Brittany's practicing the athletic garage, you know, as a primary place in Pasadena. I taught there for many years too. So I teach, you know, at these places, you know, where people are coming through every six months. It's a different crew of people coming in, you know, and it's one great thing I could say about the energy in California. It's young, it's fresh. People are gung-ho. They are excited, you know, to do something with their lives. Mm -hmm. and, and that's wonderful. It really is. But at the same time, you have to realize, like you were just mentioning, it takes work. Mm -hmm. It takes work and a certain, you have to have a certain smarts too, to be able to make it in this business. I mean, honestly, I honestly say you got to reinvent yourself many times. Doing the same old thing is not going to cut it. And you got to have the talent to know how to do that. Look at the ones who, who have done that. You know, the Michael Jacksons, the Madonnas, the Janet Jacksons, and the, the Lopez's and, and the people like that. Look at, look at the Beyonce's, the Jay-Z's, the artists like that that are able, the Kanye West, are able to reinvent themselves, you know, and to really work hard you know, and take the hard knocks that come with it. If you don't have the training, you know, to have people tell you that you're not this, and that, you know, or you need to look like someone else would do that. If you don't have that training, that solid training, and know what you've already accomplished, regardless of what anyone says, they cannot take your training away. They cannot take what you work for so hard, regardless of what they say to you. And it's going to be some harsh things at times mm. that you got to say, okay, I, 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 I have the discipline, I have the structure, I have the accomplishments that I know what I've, what I've already achieved to be able to realize I can do this. I, I just have to keep going. But if you don't have that, which I see a lot of people come and a lot of people go in Hollywood, more go than, you know, you have a lot coming, but you got a lot going too. You got a ship coming in as one is selling out with a lot of people who said, oh, well, Oh, well, oh, well, I guess I, I'm not meant to be a star like you told me, you know, so it's, it's tough. Everyone, thank you for tuning in. That was part one conversation with Joey L. Dowdy, a.k.a. Dr. Dancer. I will be sure to leave links in the description to where you can find more about Joey, his book, and his show on YouTube. Again, amazing conversation. Stay tuned for part two. Next week, we'll release part two of the conversation and keep the conversation going. Remember to head over to www.hellomynameisjosh.com to listen to all my podcasts there. Learn more about me. You can also listen to my podcast anywhere you like to listen to podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and so much more. 
Remember, my new show, Mindshift, premieres September 1st on YouTube, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. So be sure to go there now and subscribe so you can be first in line for when the show does drop. If you have any questions about the show today, our guest today, or if you know anyone who wants to be a guest on the show, please email me at josh at hello, my name is josh.com. As always, I thank you for tuning in. And until next time, I'll talk to you later.